0: Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, good to see you. Let me begin by saying what I always say when I open the God, God's word, uh, that this is the word of God. Uh, so let's open it with humility uh, and with reverence uh, before, before God. So we're going to open it to the book of Amos. You know, we continue our study uh, in these minor prophets. We have been doing these brief messages uh, just to kind of give some overviews of, uh, of this book. Uh, one of the things that's challenging is to try to decide, you know, from, from a week's study to condense it. Uh, so, uh, but I do trust that the Holy Spirit is here with us and he will, he will uh, be among us as we, as we learn together. So let me pray for us before we proceed. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much uh, for this uh, evening. Uh, we praise you for your goodness. We praise you for your mercy uh, towards us. Uh, we thank you for the gift of your word. Uh, thank you that by your word, God, you teach us, uh, you teach us about who you are and uh, you teach us about our only hope, Father, which is the, the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, so, Lord, we pray now, uh, just acknowledging that this word that we are looking at uh, is inspired by you, that we need it, uh, we need it to shape us into godliness uh, and we need it to, to, live, to live for your glory. Uh, So God, use this word now uh, for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. The book of Amos begins. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, uh, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two days before the earthquake. Uh, If you get an opportunity, I think I had a handout in the front there. So as as I go through this, I gave you the handout, uh, stole that from uh, the MacArthur Study Bible. Uh, It's just like an overview, and uh, I I used it almost like a skeleton to just come up with an introduction uh, here. So the author of this book is Amos, and uh, the book was written approximately between 760 to 750 B.C., and uh, the name Amos actually means a burden bearer. So Amos was one who indeed was... uh, uh, holding the, the, the burden, he had the burden to, to preach the word of God to the northern kingdom. He was from the southern kingdom, and uh, God gave him the task to go and do that. And uh, another thing that we know about Amos from the book is that Amos also worked uh, as a, a tender of uh, sycamore figs, or a tender of sycamore trees. Uh, they, they have said, some of the commentaries were saying that some of the sycamore trees would produce figs, and uh, so they think that Amos was also, so he had two, two uh, things that he was doing to support himself as far as being a sheep herder and also attending to the sycamore trees. So again like I said, he, he grew up in Judah, but he was prophesying in the, in the northern part of, uh, of Israel. And what's interesting about him is that he was not a, pro- a professional prophet obviously. Uh, as we would think about, you know, if you think about other prophets like Jeremiah you know you can call them kind of professional prophets but he was just a a regular guy and and I think that's very very encouraging isn't it though that that God can use the Amoses in this world Uh, if he can use a shepherd if he can use uh, somebody who's tending to these sycamore trees he can use anybody indeed so let me also say that as he was taking the word of God to the, to the northern part of Israel, he was not a very popular fella. Uh, just like most uh, prophets or anybody who, who teaches the word of God, typically, uh, you end up not being very, very uh, favorable or popular. In fact, uh, let me read from, from uh, Amos chapter 7, verse 12. Uh, we hear there about this suspicion that we're talking about. Uh, Amos chapter 7, verse 12, it says, And Amaziah... Amaziah was was a priest in in, in the north. Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, which is a term for prophet, go, flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary. It is a temple of, of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. So you see uh, what I, what I was talking about there. So again, you know that really really uh, encourages me that you don't have to be a spiritual guru or theologian uh, to to obey God as long as you have the Word of God and you're faithful uh, to proclaim it. God does much with His Word. So so Amos again he he was called to to the nations in Israel, and he was uh, calling them to repent. He was calling Israel to repent. And he was calling the nations around Israel also uh, to repent and to establish justice as the law of the land. And uh, what's important for us to note about him is that really he was prophesying at a time that was a time of economic prosperity. Uh, It was not only a time of economic prosperity, but it was also uh, a time of political stability. Uh, But unfortunately, it led to this spiritual decay, uh, this moral decline uh, of the people of Israel. Uh, and this spiritual decline really displayed itself in a lot of ways, uh, but primarily as a social injustice uh, that was happening in the, in the, in the community. Uh, we see that the rich people in Israel were, were really exploiting the poor. Uh, the powerful were, were dominating the weak, uh, and there was unfortunately a lot of immorality Uh, This book of Amos really warns us and reminds us, uh, just like we see in our world today, um, that most often when we are economically prosperous and when we are politically stable, uh, it can be so easy for people to actually neglect and to actually disobey the ways of God uh, and be a people who are immoral and be a people who are self-indulgent, a people who are self-satisfied, a people who are self-exalting, and people who are self-centered. Uh, so again, I have got that outline. Feel free to go along with me as I as I go through this. So again, ah, ah, Amos really one of his goals is to show the people in Israel that really they are not better than the other nations. Especially when they think, when you think about the, their transgressions, and when you think about their sin, we see that. The divine judgment of God, that would be coming to the other nations, was also going to be very real to the Israelites. So we see in chapter one to chapter one verse three to chapter two verse sixteen, uh, we see the judgment of God against the nations. Uh, we reminded that God is the sovereign God; He is Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, and He's over all the nations. So Amos. He begins really this book by speaking against eight nations. And he singles them out. He singles them out for, for his judgment. And if you look in the language in the book here, it really highlights what, what kind of sin uh, they, were, they were guilty of. For example, if you look in your book Bibles, chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus, And for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. And and so we see that language repeated over and over again in verse 6. You see that? In verse 9, in verse 11, in verse 13, chapter 2, verse 1, you see the same thing repeated. For three transgressions and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. So for Israel's neighbors... Damascus, Gaza, and Tyre, they were guilty of the sin of inhumanity. And then when you think about Israel's cousins, the, the Edomites, they were so ruthless. And uh, we're actually going to talk about the Ed- Edomites next week when we look at the book of Obadiah. And then the Ammonites, the Ammonites were just barbaric. If you look uh, again in chapter 1, verse 13, uh, it says there, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the Ammonites and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have ripped open. Listen to this. They have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead that they may enlarge their border. Can you imagine? That is just so barbaric. They were, they were ripping open pregnant women so you could see how ruthless they were. And then Moab was, was guilty of sacrilege. They were t- treating Uh, The sacred things of God in a profane way. And then Judah. Judah was guilty of the sin of infidelity to God. They were rejecting the laws of God. And they were accepting the lies of men. And then uh, Israel. Israel was guilty of uh, insensitivity. They were exploiting the poor. And they were indulging their flesh before God. So as I say all this, I just want to make this point that at the end of the day, we can see that God was and God is the offended party. He has the power and the right to judge all nations. So, So because of their guilt, we see this judgment against Israel's enemy nations, and then we see judgment against Judah, and then we see judgment against Israel. And then, again, like I said, chapter 3, verse 1 to chapter 6, verse 14, uh, we see this condemnation against Israel. Uh, there is condemnation for the sin of irresponsibility, the sin of idolatry, uh, the sin of moral and ethical decay. You know, because of their, because of their sin, Amos comes with this, with this message, and he is just telling them how they're not walking according to the ways of God. So one of the things that I want us to to, to learn here is that Amos is really he's reminding the Israelites that God's election brings responsibility. God had indeed chosen Israel. He chose Israel and He brought Israel, the people of Israel, out of Egypt, but it also meant that they were accountable. Uh, they were to be accountable. Chapter 3, in chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, it says, "Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities." So, so God had chosen and blessed Israel more than any other nation, but they they were they were forgetting that being chosen. And being elected was a great privilege. So again, God's election brings responsibility. And then we see uh, the condemnation against Israel. And after that, we see in chapter 7, verse 1 to chapter 9, verse 15, uh, these visions, these visions, uh, these visions of judgment and these visions uh, of restoration. Uh, And we see there that in his judgment, when God is judging, he will spare some. There is always a remnant in his mercy. He He practices his mercy and spares some. And we see this in the vision of the locust and the vision of the fire in chapter 7, uh, verse 4 to, to verse 6. Uh, he, does, he does spare some in his mercy. And then we also see that God in his judgment... He will not spare some. Uh, and uh, we see this in the vision of the plumb line and the vision of the fruit basket and the vision of the, of, the, of the altar. And then finally we're reminded that ultimately it is God, it is Yahweh really who is responsible for any type of restoration or any redemption that is going to happen that it is He, it is God who does that. So this is uh, pretty much a quick outline and so what I want to do now, I just want to take a dive uh, into chapter 4. And, and, and let's see what Isaiah, I mean, what Amos' ministry was like uh, as he was uh, prophesying in uh, Israel. So go with me, if you can, to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. Who are are on the mountain of Samaria? Who oppress the poor? Who crush the needy? Who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink? The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that, behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks, and you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast out into Harmon. Declares the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress to Gilgal and multiply. I mean, you can kind of hear the sarcasm there. You know, he's being sarcastic. Uh, Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of of that which is leavened and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them. For so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord. So these rich, pampered women of Samaria in the northern kingdom, they were oppressing the poor. And they were concerning themselves only with their own indulgences. And we could say that they were religiously hypocritical. So in very vivid language here, Amos compares them to the well-fed cows of Bashan. And by the way, guys, in here, in case you're wondering, even though it's in the Bible, I don't think it's ever a good idea to refer to women as cows. Uh, Man, I'm sure to the surprise of everyone in his audience, though, uh, Amos' message was uh, serious and sobering. Amos, he begins uh, this message by addressing these upper-class women. And you can imagine the shock. Uh, You know, without question, the prophet got their attention. Uh, he was accusing them of being like the well-fed cows of Bashan. Uh, Now, Bashan was a place that was known for its lush green pastures and cattle ranches and fed cows. Uh, Apparently, many of the upper-class women of society in Israel, really, if you think about them, you could say that they were were self-serving, they were indulgent, and they were pampered. So, I want us to notice three accusations there that God, God really brings three accusations against them through through Amos. So the first accusation that he brings here is that they were guilty. They were guilty of oppressing the poor and they were crushing the needy. Uh, this is in verse 1. So in, in dealing with the poor and the, and the needy, they cheated. And they were taking advantage of them. Uh, they were most likely refusing to pay a reasonable wage uh, for their labor. You know, these women no doubt made unreasonable demands uh, of their household servants as well as others under their authority. Uh, We can say that they really did very, very very little, and they gave little to really help those in need. So we see that first uh, accusation that they were guilty of oppressing the poor and, and they were crushing the needy. And then secondly, we see the second accusation is that they insisted on being pampered. Uh, they wanted all the extravagant comforts. You know, they wanted all the luxuries of life, even if it meant oppressing the poor, even if it meant neglecting the needs of the community. They were nagging. You know, they were nagging their their husbands and insisting that their husbands provide them with these luxuries that other people had. Uh, so we see that uh, they they were insisting on the on being pampered and then thirdly you know we see that these pampered women they were guilty of self indulgence uh, they were guilty of self indulgence uh, so they were women of strong fleshly appetites uh, you know they were craving more and more of whatever it took to satisfy their flesh uh, even strong strong drink i think uh, in the new king james version when i was reading it it said uh, bring us wine. They actually asked for wine. Uh, so because of their sinful behavior, uh, these selfish, upper-class women, they were to face the justice and they were to face the judgment of God. Uh, furthermore, their judgment was, was really guaranteed by God's sworn oath. I mean, it's, it's a bad situation when God pledges and makes a, a sworn oath. Uh, we see that in chapter 2 verse, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 4 verse 2. If you look there, it says that the Lord God has sworn by his holiness that behold the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks. So, so God is entirely holy. And he defines holiness. And he is completely set apart from sin. And, and his holiness cannot allow sin to contaminate his presence. He does not allow that. So so this is the reason really why all sinners must be dealt with. Uh, This is the reason why we have the gospel. This is the reason why Jesus ultimately came. Uh, They must either repent and be forgiven or else they stand before the court of God's justice, which they cannot bear. So unlike the God, the God who's holy, unlike the holy God, these women of Israel were anything but holy. You know, they they were doomed. They were doomed to face the terrifying judgment of God. And just like the fat cows of Bashan, you know, they were, they were led away to be slaughtered. And this was really the, the decreed will of God. This was the decreed will of God. Uh, these sinful women would be led away as captives with with these animal hooks. You know, they say that these Assyrians were so they were so barbaric, they would put these fish hooks in the noses and in the lips, and then they would attach a rope to it and then drag you away. So they were going to be utterly humiliated in that process. But the, the sad thing, though, is that they were not repentant. They did not return to God. I mean, look in chapter 4, verse 6. Uh, it says, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return to me. So their teeth were clean because they did not have anything to eat. So, so God sends famine as judgment in verse 6, as judgment. And then uh, in verse 7, he withholds the rain from them. And then in verse 9, he sends blight and mildew. In verse 9, he sends locust. In verse 10, pestilence. Some of their young men die by the sword in verse 10. But sadly, so, so sadly, you know, we see the repetition here in verse 6, in verse 8, in verse 9, in verse 10, in verse 11. You hear the same phrase. It says, Yet you did not return to me. The Israelites did not repent. And then God says in chapter 4, verse 12, Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Listen to these words. He says, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. You know those are serious, <laughs> sobering words. And ladies and gentlemen, we cannot escape the judgment of God. So these bold, self-centered, wealthy women, would ultimately lose everything and the Assyrians would come and they would drag them away like I just described. But what is interesting about them, though, is, is how you hear about their religious rituals. So if you notice when I was reading in chapter 4, verse 4 to verse 5, Amos really sarcastically challenges these people. Uh, you know, they knew their religious rituals so well they brought all kinds of sacrifices before God, but their lives were full of sin. You know, they were hypocritical. There was no holiness in their lives, and there was no reverence for God. So the drought, the famine, the plagues, the, the judgment, and the punishment that came upon them, really, it did not make them repent, and that, that, that's a sad day when people do not repent. But however, so notice though that in the midst of this book about God's judgment and in the midst of this book about the punishment of God, in in the middle of this book about these people who are not not, uh, repenting, we also hear about God's restoration. Uh, We hear about God's coming restoration. So let me read uh, from Amos chapter 9, verse 11, where we hear how God ultimately promises restoration. He says in chapter 9, verse 11, he says that in that day I will, lo- I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins. And, and, and notice the language there. You know, he says, I will. God is going to do this. God is the actor. He's the one who's going to do the restoration. Uh, and uh, he says, uh, verse 12, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name. And praise God that we are part of that. You know, we are part of the nations who are called by his name. And then verse 14 says, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wines, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I give them. So it's almost like, you know, you're looking up in the sky and there's this darkness. There's this darkness of God's judgment and God's wrath. And then all of a sudden you hear this message of restoration. And it is like a ray of light that gives us hope. And uh, we know that ultimately this hope is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who is the promised Messiah. So let me say this, that the best way really to read these books, like anytime you read the Old Testament or if we're reading these books, is to really read them with a Christocentric lens uh, so that we can think about what Jesus Christ has done and what he will do because they were all anticipating uh, the coming of Jesus. Revelation chapter 21 verse 5 says that, Behold, I am making all things new. So that, that is really, really hopeful as we, as we think about this book. So pretty quickly, uh, some takeaway points for us as we think about this book. You know, it reminds us really of the sovereignty of God. You know, that God is over all the nations. He's over all. And that we are all accountable, you know, to him. No exceptions, as we see here. And then the other thing that I want us to see is that if we are really in a right relationship with God as God's people, ultimately it results in us having justice and righteousness. You know, we live in a culture that likes to talk a lot about justice But really, justice devoid, real justice does not happen apart from having true gospel. Like, uh, justice that happens in society happens because God is working in the hearts of the people through the gospel. And then the other thing that I want us to take away is that God is really not impressed with our hypocritical religious rituals. Just like he was with these women. So this challenges me personally when I read this just how easy it is for me to be. I can be religiously, just I, I can adhere to all the things of religion. I can read my commentaries. But if my heart and my affection is not really, really genuine before God, and if I am not living according to God's ways, uh, it, it is really meaningless. Uh, Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Remember, Jesus said Say this to the scribes and the Pharisees. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, Hypocrites, for you tithe mint and deal and cumming and have neglected the weightier matter, law, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting others, you blind guides. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Let's pray. God, we, 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 we pray that this would not be us, this description, uh, that we would not be hypocrites uh, as these uh, women of Bashan were. Uh, so, God, as we think about your character, as we think about your holiness, as we think about your goodness, as you think about your sovereignty, uh, God, we, we pray just thanking you that you have made it possible for us to know you through your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, And so, God, I pray for any unbelievers uh, that they would know that ultimately the wrath of God can only be dealt by your son, Jesus Christ. And God, we also thank you for for the gift of restoration and the gift of redemption that we see foreshadowed in in this book as well. Uh, So be with us, God. Help us uh, to maybe take some time this week to really read through this book uh, when we have more time uh, so that we can honor and glorify you. In our name we pray. Amen.